Hello everyone, we are rolling for another episode of the JJF1 podcast where Jonah and Jordan talk about all things related to F1. It is Tuesday, and we are here to talk about the 2022 Australian Grand Prix, where Charles Leclerc won from Sergio Perez and George Russell. That is not a podium that I expected, but in general, I think this was a return to normality. I think that we've had the over the last two races some pretty crazy races, and I think it's bad. It's we now realize what a normal race is supposed to look like. So in, in general, how do you feel about the race, Jordan? Well, when you say normality, it's very interesting because at the front of the pack, it was pretty normal aside from Verstappen DNFing. But the normality only was at the front of the pack. In the midfield, we were treated to amazing midfield battles. No, we didn't have overtakes for the lead, but we had 34 other overtakes that yeah. were done throughout the midfield. And I think that was really interesting to watch, especially at a track like Albert Park, where we're not used to having so many overtakes. Um, I think. Yeah. Do you year, think? Do you think that the circuit uh, changes made that much of a difference? Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that one year at Albert Park, I think it was 2017 or 2018. I'm not sure. We only had two overtakes that year. Two. <laughs> there were two, and you know that gives Monaco a run for its money. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it made a huge difference. 34 is, is insane. Last week in Jeddah, a track that from the beginning is designed for overtaking, had only 33 overtakes last <laughs> week. So Australia beat uh, the Corniche circuit. So I think it made a huge difference. Um, and I think in the grand scheme of things, maybe the fourth DRS zone would have made a more exciting race. But let's get into it because... Jordan and I, we, we spoke, we, we, we spoke about the Grand Prix briefly uh, before recording this podcast. And we said that this, this Grand Prix was kind of interesting in the, in the way that it was more, uh, boring is not a good word, but it was more boring than the rest of them. So what yeah. did you make of it? What's your take on that? Um, I mean, I think that I, I understand why they got rid of the fourth DRS zone. I think that it's honestly too much. Um, However, I like the new circuit, and uh, in general, like you said, um, I mean, I think you call it, the. I think your version of what we're going to call a boring race is what I'm going to call a return to normal. You know what I'm talking about? Is we haven't had any major, major crazy moments or crashes or anything. Uh, well, actually, we did. We're going to talk about that. But anyways, we. I, I think in general, there was no like really high speed battles, no major, um, no major overtakes. I mean, sure there were a lot, but they weren't as important, you know? So I think in general, this is what we expect a normal F1 race to be. Uh, and one team that should absolutely be shaking their heads and going back to their office in Silverstone and saying, what the hell happened this weekend is Aston Martin. <laughs> it is a very rough weekend for the both of us as we are Aston Martin fans. 
Um, let's sum it up. Uh, okay, free practice. Vettel doesn't run and rides a motorcycle. Um, <laughs> FP3, Lance and Vettel both crash their front rings. Uh, then what? Then in the uh, qualifying. In qualifying in qualifying, Lance goes out. Does he make it out of Q1? I think I don't remember. I think he did. Um, no, he he did not make it out of Q1. And on top of that, he had a penalty. Seb went out for one lap and didn't even get out of Q1. Seb then during the race DNFs after hitting his front wing again, and then Stroll. After finishing on track in the points, gets a five-second penalty and finishes out of the points. So now Aston Martin is 10th and dead last in the Constructors' Championship with no points in their name. Jordan, <laughs> how do you feel? How do you feel about the how do you feel as being an Aston Martin fan over the course of this weekend? I think over the course of the season, it's been a very bad time to be a Canadian Formula One fan um, because not only are we cheering for Aston Martin, we're also cheering for Latifi and he has not put in a good performance either. Um, so to be a Canadian Formula One fan is pretty hard right now. Um, and in terms of Aston Martin's struggles, they really, really, well, first of all, we cannot give Sebastian Vettel too much hate because he missed the first two races of the season uh, due to COVID, he wasn't able to perform and therefore was not able to get his feet wet in a race condition for that Formula One car. And on top of that, missed, I would say, more than 50% of the practice time he could have gotten. So he is already at a huge disadvantage in a new regulation era compared to everybody else. So I don't think that Sebastian Vettel deserves too much heat. What I will say is I think that Aston Martin needs to get the problems with their car fixed as yeah. soon as possible. Because as much as it is a problem with, uh, as much as it could be a problem with the inexperience of the drivers, it's a very big problem with the car and strategy. And I think they have to get that fixed as soon as, as soon as possible. Yeah, I, I, I think this weekend, in my opinion, is 50% team and 50% driver. Because, listen, no matter how much experience you have in a car... If for this season, if you're in an F1 car, you shouldn't be spinning out uh, the way that Seb spun out. That's just, I, especially for someone of Seb's character, that really shouldn't, that really shouldn't happen. And what else? One other thing that I forgot to mention is Lance hit Latifi in qualifying. That's how he got the grid penalty. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I forgot to mention that because it's been such a bad weekend for Aston Martin that there were so many bad points that I forgot to mention all of them. So, uh, like, I understand that there was some sort of misunderstanding. And then you run into the points, and then he got another five-second penalty. I mean, the crash and the crash is semi his fault, but the five-second penalty is entirely his fault. And in situations but like that, you can't mess up. I would say that penalties aside, I would say that it's incredibly important that Aston Martin fixes the car for one reason. Sebastian Vettel is not getting any younger. 
He was already considering leaving F1 once and is on this project. Yes, he has a longstanding relationship with Lauren Stroll. Yes, they have plans for in five years from now to be competitive. But at the same time, the car is not getting faster and Seb's not getting any younger. So it makes me think, if Aston Martin keep up these struggles, would this be Seb Vettel's last year in Formula One? I think it might be. Um, however, I just want to say that regardless of the season that Aston Martin have this year, it's not going to tarnish Sebastian Vettel's legacy. Like, Sebastian oh, Vettel, not. regardless of the bad season that he could potentially have at Aston Martin, he will still be one of the greatest drivers to ever race in Formula One. Um Definitely, I don't think he's on the same level as Lewis Hamilton and Michael Schumacher, but he's definitely like top five. So that's that's where I see right. Vettel. That's that's where I see Vettel and his legacy and everything. But I think this might this could be it for him. Who knows? I just wanted to raise the question, and I want to see how it plays out in the rest of the season. Yeah. So. If we go if we go on to the race, I mean, the first thing that we see about two laps in is Carlos Sainz, who already started in ninth after being caught out with the red flag between Stroll and Latifi, uh, spinning out and then being stuck in the gravel and finishing. And that's that, that was the end of his race. His race was two laps long or, or something like that. Um, I think this is definitely Carlos's worst weekend in a while, depending on the car that's been giving to him. Um, do you think that this um, puts a dent in Carlos's season to a bigger extent? And how do you think that he's going to be able to come back from this bad weekend? I don't think this puts a dent in Carlos's season at all. Carlos Sainz, for those who don't remember, has 17 consecutive points finishes. Up until that race. (laughs) Up until that race. Not only that, but he had three consecutive podium finishes. Abu Dhabi last year, people seem to forget that he was on the podium. And the first two races this year. And clearly, Ferrari has the hardware. Charles Leclerc was leaps and bounds ahead of everyone. I think that it was just, it was only, the only explanation for this is that he just had a rough weekend. It was just not his weekend. And I think that it's bad luck. I think bad luck hit him. Um, and, you know, drivers have those weekends. Lewis could have had that in Jeddah. I think Carlos had that in Australia. But I think that we're going to see Carlos bounce back, especially at a track like Imola, which is a track that the drivers are very familiar with. They've driven there in the past two years, twice. And uh, it's a track that, uh, uh, that the, you know, Ferrari did well at, sorry, well, Ferrari did well at last year and that um, Carlos Sainz did well at in the McLaren the year before that. So I think that uh, this is just an off weekend for him. Yeah, I think that especially, I mean, I'm already going to go back into the Beyond the Grid uh, interview that Tom Clarkson <laughs> did with Carlos. Speaking of which, Tom Clarkson, if you're ever listening, please come on to our podcast. We'd love to have you. Uh, um, but you, you really get a glimpse into how competitive, uh, and how hard on himself Carlos Sainz really is. Um, and that's something that you don't really see from a lot of drivers. 
And I think that with the determination of Carlos Sainz, especially after this bad weekend, I mean, sure, it was a very, very bad weekend for him. Like everything that could have gone wrong did. Um, I think that he could potentially win next race because of how motivated he is to fix the wrongs of this weekend. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I've already jumped over uh, everything and gone to a bold prediction, but yeah. he could easily, he could easily take this bad weekend and turn it into one of the best weekends of his career, if not the best weekend of his career so far. Um, two weeks time in Imola. Yeah, and I hope we hear the Italian national anthem twice in Imola He's next Spanish. weekend. Well, the Ferrari national anthem would play after his uh, his nationality. Oh. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I so, I I misunderstood what you were trying to say. <laughs> they sing the Italian national anthem before the race, and yeah. then they'll sing it after the race. Before so I hope to hear it twice after. next weekend because that will be, especially now that it's going to be a full crowd, it'll be amazing to 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 hear. And it might be if a Ferrari wins, could be like Charles Leclerc and Monza two years ago or in 2019. So. I think uh, yeah. I think in a straight line, Imola is like 500 kilometers from where I currently am. <laughs> that is so. Why don't you go to the race? I I wish I could, but unfortunately, I am also a student while I'm in France, so I need to I need to I need to get my life in gear. <laughs> Anyways. Um, <laughs> With that being said, after that, we had a safety car and then a safety car restart. We had Lance pitting twice over two laps, if you have anything to comment on that, uh, to switch his tires for one lap and then go back onto the hards and try to survive for the rest of the time. No? Okay, never mind. Uh, Perez, uh, then we had, over the course of that time, after the restart, Sergio Perez overtaking Lewis Hamilton for third place and how I think this is more symbolic than anything but what do you think this means for Lewis and what do you think this means for Checo that with like on merit Checo managed to pass Lewis which is something that he really couldn't have said last year I think that says uh more about Red Bull than it does about Checo I think that uh, Checo is finally come to uh, grips with the car he is clearly you know he's i think he's ahead of max in the no he's not he's very up there in the in the in the driver's championship i mean max is fifth so where is checo right now i think i think checo might be i from what i remember i think checo is above max right now because checo had uh second place and then he finished in uh he finished in Jeddah also so it should definitely be more than 25 points yeah exactly so right so look i think he's finally getting to grips with the car and i think that it says more about red bull than it says about checo and the development that they had in 2022 the car, the red bull car is better than mercedes it's a fact right now today with no upgrades as the development race will continue or will start maybe that will be different but as we are speaking today the red bull is better than the mercedes and because checo finally understands the car after a year at the team i think he's able to take full advantage of the car and 
that's what a Red Bull can do versus a Mercedes in 2022. And to me, that's what that is. Um, I think Checo's an excellent driver, and I'm very excited to see him win a race this year. I thought it was going to be this race, but he came in second. I was pretty close. So I'm at least closer than Jonah's prediction of both Aston Martin drivers winning the race. So That hurts. <laughs> no, but uh, I mean, you're all, you're talking about the Red Bull side of everything. I'm going to talk about the Checo side. I mean, like you said, Checo has really done well in this car. And if you're asking me, I think that Checo has gotten used to this car much faster than Max has gotten used to this car. I mean, sure, you can't blame Max for the DNFs, but Checo feels more comfortable in the car. And I think that that was uh, really shown uh, this Sunday when he overtook Hamilton. Because, sure, the car, Red Bull is faster than Mercedes right now, but you still need to have that kind of driver move to be able to overtake a seven-time world champion. So... That's that's the way that I see it. Once again, 50-50, balanced as all things should be. Um, then, speaking of Mercedes, we had this weird radio call, or radio calls, I guess, between Lewis Hamilton and his team, and George Russell and his team, about position, about third or fourth. I have a quote here that I wrote down saying... George, management is more important than position. So what do you take from what could be a slight team rivalry in Mercedes? I think that we are in a infer treat. I really think that um, George, you know, as, as much of a fanboy of Valtteri Bottas as I am, George has beaten Lewis twice in a row now. Um, and he's finally giving somebody at Mercedes a run for their money, especially in, uh, in an era where Mercedes doesn't have the fastest car. So they have to look after things that they're not normally looking after. You know, tire management, yeah, was at the forefront of their mind before, but not as much as it is this year because their car has not uh, is not in the most optimal position. So yeah, there's a rivalry, and that's because George Russell is very talented. He's really good. He is. He took a Williams and put it on the podium. That's how good he is. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, as good as Valtteri Bottas is, and as much as he also deserves to be a world championship, it seems like George Russell in those three years at Williams with the Mercedes engine being managed by Total Wolf has much more confidence than Valtteri Bottas has in the Mercedes. And I think that that is why things are heating up. I think that's why maybe Lewis feels threatened a bit. And uh, yeah, that's my take on that. I really think that uh, someone's giving Lewis finally a run for his money, especially now that he's not in the best, best, best car. I think another thing that uh, Mercedes needs to consider is letting their cars race. Can you believe that? We're actually having two Mercedes racing each other and not getting a call from Valtteri's engineer saying we invert the cars into turn two. Uh, <laughs> I think that that's another thing that Mercedes now have to consider because 
the team game is over, or at least it looks like the team game is over because I wouldn't say George, I mean, sure, George is currently outperforming uh, uh, Lewis, but I think that uh, since they're not in the fight for a championship, they could really see who is the more talented driver and letting them race is going to be something that we're hopefully going to see over over the next few races. And I cannot wait for it. <laughs> I think that it's going to be absolutely great. We'll um, see. We'll, we'll see though how it develops over time because we'll, we'll, we just have to see though how it develops over time because with the upgrades coming in, now that they're going back to Europe, there might be some upgrades in two weeks' time. So we'll see what Mercedes could pull out of their uh, hat of tricks. I don't think that they're going to be fighting for a championship right now. I think that it's way too early in the season to declare Ferrari or Red Bull the winner. I think think that's also because we've been so used to seeing Mercedes on top that we don't believe that they're actually doing like relative, like not first place right now. I think we're just not used to it. So we, so we could say, okay, when they bring in developments, you never know. Look, I would, I would love Ferrari to win. I love seeing different winners. I love seeing Charles Leclerc, a Monegas, good guy, has a great heart. I love seeing him on the top step of the podium. I don't know. Something's just rubbing me the wrong way about how Mercedes has gone about business. And I think that uh, maybe their sandbagging has gone a little, uh, an extended period of time. <laughs> I don't think that they're sandbagging. We'll see. We'll see how the rest of that goes. Meanwhile, after that, we have uh, Max DNF. Again, his Red Bull powertrain just gave up on him. And what do you think this means for Red Bull now? I mean, they're, they've had this engine problem since the beginning. Where How do you think, when do you think that they'll be able to fix it? Yeah, well, I think that, um, I really think that, first of all, I think Red Bull is improving a lot because in Jeddah, um, they had four cars finish with their engine. And in Australia, they only had one car give out as opposed to three in the first race. <laughs> so you, you can argue that it's an improvement for Red Bull um, because keep in mind, this is their first year developing their own engine not from a manufacturer, their own engine. So kind of have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yes, they have to focus on their engine and the reliability of their engine. And what does this mean for Red Bull? I think it means that now that they're back in Europe for the next race, I think they could be bringing some additional uh, components for their engine and look for in the next couple of races, a grid penalty to be taken because of them and their engine. I would not be surprised if that's the case. If they already changed their engines, I think that that would be either a power move or a bad move, depending on depending on the outcome. Um, but I think that more importantly, this could put a dent into Max's attempt to run for the championship. Um, because right now, Charles Leclerc has two wins and a second, and Max has one win and a fastest lap, and that's the only points that he's gotten. So already Max and um, Schall are something like 30 to 35 points 
um, between each other. And Max hasn't even gotten 35 points yet this season. So how we never know how much two races can make a difference. Um, I think that if Max wants to win the championship, he's going to need to race like a madman and absolutely win everything from now on. Yeah, that is the, that is one of the only ways. Um, I personally, um, I think that he's going to have to race really well, but also he's going to have to count on Red Bull to bring uh, a reliable car um, because it's unacceptable that they cannot finish a race uh, and had a DNF in two out of the three races so far. I don't think that's really happened with engine issues to start a season in a really long time. So I think he's going to have to really count on Red Bull hard. And he just signed an extension until 2028. So let's hope that with this engine freeze, it doesn't come back to bite him in the Tukas. Uh, I hope that that continues for Red Bull and hopefully for Max because he's going to be staying on for a while. Um, speaking of another former Red Bull driver, Alex Albon scored points. <laughs> he scored a point, and that's because he is the tire manager of the year. Yeah. Uh, move over, Sergio Perez. There's a new tire manager in town. His name is Alex Albon. How did you feel now that your your boy got, got a point? Well, I'm very happy because I don't think Williams deserves points for the entire season on pure pace. So I'm happy that they got points. Um, and I'm happy that it was Albon because he deserves it. Um, it's really sad to see him really at the back of the grid fighting because he was a Red Bull driver. But you take what you could get in the sport and he definitely took advantage of uh, you know, managing his tires properly, the safety cars, easier to manage tires under safety cars. Yeah, it's harder to get heat in them, but easier to manage the tires. So yeah, he, uh, he got lucky in a way, and he also is a tire manager extraordinaire. That, that sums it up perfectly. Um, meanwhile, summing everything up perfectly is the absolute domination by number 16, the Monegasque driver, Charles Leclerc. How do you describe the domination and the masterclass race that he put on? I mean, to survive not one safety car restart, but two safety car restarts. I think that that's imp- And also to win with a multiple second, uh, I think it was five, five or six second gap. Uh, and at one point, the gap was 15, 16 seconds. Um, how, how do you explain this really well-done race by Sean Leclerc? The way I explain this race is by saying that Ferrari finally started to care about aerodynamics, and they have a Michael Schumacher-esque driver in their car. It's a combination of the two. Their engine is doing very well. They learn from their mistakes. They learn from their mistakes on aerodynamics. And they have a driver that is a proven race winner. He is a fighter. He is a good guy. And yeah, he is fully deserving of the win. He is dominating and he's very good under pressure. Very good under pressure. So something I want to say and this might be contradict myself from 
for with my Mercedes taken, you know, they too early to call the season, but in a season where a driver got a grand slam and we're talking pole winner, fastest lap and fastest in the sessions and leading every lap and leading every lap that driver, every time that driver got in a grand slam went on to win the world championship in every single season that it happened. So wow. if history repeats itself, we can call Charlotte Claire the world champion right now, but we're not going to do that because it's way too early in the season. And that's, that's just to show his dominance, just to exemplify his dominance. What, what, what do you think about it? Because I just, I'm so overjoyed that we get to hear the Monegasque national anthem. It's a uh, nice the, anthem. <laughs> it's, it's my, it's, it's like, aside from the Canadian one, it's my favorite anthem in Formula One. It's the most, like David Croft said this weekend, it's the jolly the, the, the combination of very the jolly anthem, combination. It's a very jolly combination. And he is right. So what are you, what are you, what is your take? Uh, my take is like you said, this is the drive of a champion for real. I remember saying some point where we were making fun of Ferrari. I don't remember when it was, but I said that if Ferrari does not give Charles Leclerc a world championship, that that is going to be a complete failure on their part and that they should be totally ashamed of themselves. This might actually be the season, the first time in whatever it is, I think it's been 15 years, Ferrari might win the driver's championship and they might win the constructor's championship. And if this is one way to prove that they are championship material, this race is it. At least in Charles Leclerc's case, because I, I feel really bad for Carlos. He could have easily managed to climb up the field and at least do something. But in, a, in the end, he got no points. But I think that in general, this is Ferrari proving that they are world championship material, like you said. And with that being said, in two weeks from now, we are on our way to Imola. What is your bold prediction for the Grand Premio del Made in Italy del Villa Romagna. <laughs> All right. Well, this might not be really a bold prediction, but I am going to say that Valtteri had a great weekend last weekend. I am going to say he's going to be in the top five next weekend. But not only that, I'm also going to say that Kevin Magnussen is going to make his way to the top five as well. Wow. Those are my bold predictions. You know what? That could happen. I mean... Yeah, I think I think that Imola is a circuit where anything can happen. It's kind of like Monza in that way, where anything can happen at Imola in terms of crashes and overtakes and cars performing differently. So I really think that we're in for uh, kind of a, uh, a shakeup in the Grand Prix order that we're used to seeing this season. I would very much like to see that. I mean, I already made one prediction earlier. My prediction is that Carlos Sainz is going to win this race. But I'm going to make another prediction based on what you said. And that is that Mick Schumacher is going to score his first points in Formula One at Imola. I am hoping... So he is very deserving of points. He has not had luck on his side recently, but he's very deserving of points. Well, 
with that being said, if you want to follow us through the Imola Grand Prix and for the rest of the 2022 season and beyond, feel free to like our Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at the JJF1 Podcast. And we now have a YouTube channel, so go watch us on YouTube. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you. But follow us on all the social media, and we will see you for the next episode. See ya.